Welcome, everyone, to Strictly JoJo, a podcast dedicated to JoJo's bizarre adventure. My name is Courtney. This is episode 87, and we're reviewing part three, Stardust Crusaders, Justice Part Two. As always, there'll be spoilers for this episode and anything that's happened in the JoJo anime. We continue with Polnareff's saga in the bathroom with toilets, and it's great. (laughs) Yeah, I forgot there were two toilet episodes in part three, or maybe there's more. I don't remember a lot of part three, except for key moments, but yeah, I remember we talked about last time how the preview in the previous episode for this episode, it pulled a lot of quotes and lines of the characters talking about toilets. Um, I think after watching this, a lot of those just ended up at the end of this episode, so I was kind of thrown off, Um, but yeah, I, I mean, we we did get the one scene, and with Polnareff having to having to lick the toilet clean. I mean, we all know that Polnareff, as funny as he is, is probably one of the most tragic characters in JoJo, and the bathroom situations are just part of that. Uh, but we'll talk all about that uh, when we dive into the episode, which. Honestly, I forgot was a really, really good episode. I was already looking forward to it because I remembered enjoying it, but I forgot how much I enjoyed it. So definitely wanting to dive into this one and talk all about it. But before we do that, we have a patron shout out. We would like to shout out our newest patron, the Gene Queens. Welcome. Woohoo. Woohoo. Round of applause. Now, there are some other names here, but I'm going to let Carl read them because I feel like I'm going to butcher them. Yes, so on Patreon, I believe they go by the name Clique Seetal. Uh I, I think from the message that they sent us, it's kind of of like a Polish origin. So hopefully I'm pronouncing that as best as I can based on the limited Polish I know. <laughs> yeah, because you have a, a really good friend who is Polish, speaks Polish. So that's yes. why I was like, I'll let you attempt it because I, I'm going to butcher it for sure. Yes, yeah, so I, I think it just stands for the clique of Seedal, or aka in Polish, the clique Seedal, aka the Gene Queens. But of course, we appreciate all of their support, and we hope that we can do them justice. Yes, thank you so much for supporting the podcast. And if any of you guys would like to support the podcast as well and get access to things like our bonus episodes, our pre-shows, or see our show schedules every month to know what's coming up, then head over to patreon.com slash strictly series. One piece of JoJo news for this week that I had discovered through a random tweet, but there's also a brief article about this on jojonews.com, and that is the JoJo's Bizarre Adventure Part 6 Stone Ocean official soundtrack is set to release in June. I think specifically on June 28, 2023 on all major streaming platforms, I would assume. And it says here that the soundtrack is planned to have 40 tracks. So I'm very excited to finally get to hear the official soundtrack, especially because I really like... Jolene's theme as well as Poochie's theme in part six but those are only available through like music covers on Spotify for those who are interested the artist Samuel Kim does a great cover of Stone Ocean and I think he also did a cover for Poochie's theme Uh, but yeah nothing beats the real thing and I know on YouTube people were ripping those tracks off of I think it was like a Jojo mobile game that had come out that had the Stone Ocean tracks on it. But I think it's just a lot easier to have the official soundtracks on like Spotify, on Apple Music, so you can just listen to it without having to rip it off of YouTube or download it locally. Um, and, of course, I, I look forward to hearing the other tracks on the album as well. Um, speaking of which, I think the physical album is going to be available, of course, for consumers in Japan, it will consist of two CDs and will go on retail for 38.50 yen, which is equivalent to about 30 US dollars. You know, I was about to say that I I'm not sure why it takes so long or why in this case it takes so long or took so long for them to release the soundtrack when Stone Ocean has 
premiered and ended already. But then when you said, oh, they're also releasing physical albums, I'm guessing they probably waited to release the digital albums until right around the same time, if not the same time as the physical albums, which I'm sure that takes a little bit more time to actually you know, create them, print them, ship them, all that stuff. So that kind of answered my question, but it does seem like a while, doesn't it? Yeah. I mean, I thought they could have split it between like maybe two albums where one or maybe even three where they could each coincide with each core of Stone Ocean as they released that way. Because when did Stone Ocean started in like 2021, right? Yeah, but they probably want to avoid spoilers for any songs or song titles that tie into, like, the end part or a later part of the show, I'm guessing. True, but, uh, yeah, that's why I think at the end of each core, they could have released an album. Because I believe even for part three, they had released multiple soundtracks uh, for Stardust Crusaders. And uh, I'm trying to recall, yeah, even for part four, there are multiple albums, too. So it's just weird that for Stone Ocean, they just decided to bank it all into one album. Uh, but again, I can't complain because Yugo Kano has been a great composer for the JoJo series since his introduction in part three. Uh, so just looking forward to hearing his works. I mean, of course, we've already heard them on the show, but getting to enjoy them as an audiophile um, will, ev- will be even more pleasurable. But of course, we will post a link to the brief article on JoJo News about the OST in our Discord. And if you are not already a member of our Discord, the link to that is in the description. All right. So let's jump into Justice Part 2. By the way, every time I say justice or think about justice when it comes to Stardust Crusaders, all I can hear is Anyabo saying, Justice, which I'm sure I did no justice to her voice acting. <laughs> but can you hear that? Like, I just feel like the way she says justice is so distinct that every time I read it, I'm like, I just hear her screaming her stand name. I actually never really paid attention to her screaming out justice. <laughs> oh, well, <laughs> maybe maybe you'll you'll pick it up next time. Because I don't there's something about the way the voice actress just like says it in that Anyaba, just like very witch-like very like old lady like way that just sticks in my mind anyway so yeah I I hear that all the time maybe some of you will hear it now Um, but I like I said earlier I forgot how much I love this episode it's just another one of those really stupid fun episodes that like the substance of it there's not much to it other than Anyaba trying to seek revenge um, on you know against Polnareff for killing her son But just everything that happens, all the shenanigans, all the nonsensical moments, they're just so much fun. It's just so stupid and so fitting for Polnareff that like, I just, I I forgot how good it is. It kind of reminds me of the same vibes I get from my favorite episode of all of Stardust Crusaders, which is the um, Darby Jr. episode with uh, Joseph and Jotaro going against him in video games. I just Mm. love that episode because it's such stupid fun between Joseph and Jotaro. And there's so many hilarious moments. I I get the same feelings from this episode. I don't know if you like it as much as I do, but I think it's just a wild ride. Yeah, I I will acknowledge that there is a, I guess... I put light in my notes, but I guess it's a pretty significant overlay of humor and absurdity throughout the Justice arc, especially here in part two, even though Enyaba has been built up to be this very sinister and sort of dastardly character. But um, yeah, it makes me think like, you know, with Polnareff facing off against her son, Jay Guile, that arc was a lot more emotional. Oh, yeah, definitely. Uh, and, you know, I would figure with her losing her son, there would be a tinge of emotion um, in, in her arc with with these two episodes on justice. But, yeah, a lot of it is just kind of slapstick humor. Um, and in that case, it's kind of funny that Polnareff, he's been this goofball the past couple episodes. He kind of gets what's coming to him for acting so aloof and naive by him being controlled and possessed by justice in this episode so it's almost like he's getting a reality check at least well part of me thinks that justice the stand and Anyaba they did not get enough justice in this episode with really 
letting its abilities shine, I guess, besides seeing the skills it has in Illusion in the previous episode, and Anyaba almost feeling a little too one-note and constantly like going berserk in her vendetta against the Crusaders. Uh, not to say this wasn't an enjoyable episode, because I think it's so funny when she gets her comeuppance when Jotaro arrives on the scene that kind of throws her for a loop, but it... it it kind of just felt like justice was glossed over, um, especially in this second part. I'll piggyback off of what you were saying about the Jay Guile fight being so serious. I mean, there was a lot, to your point, there was a lot of emotion there, not only from like the Jay Guile and um, and Yaba, but also Polnareff's end because he's finally getting the revenge that he was seeking, you know, for, for his sister's murder. Um, and so alongside that, up until the Justice arc starts, we get glimpses of Anyaba as she's helping Dio through all of his shit or whatever, and she just seems so intense, so mm-hmm. scary, so maniacal, um, like she's the mastermind pulling the strings behind the true mastermind, who is Dio. Um, so yeah, it, just seeing her in this context is interesting, because once the Justice arc starts, she loses a lot of that cynical... Or that, that sinister nature. Mm-hmm. She doesn't feel as scary as, as before. And it's not in a bad way. Because, again, I really enjoy the back and forth between Enyaba being fake and Polnareff being, like, really genuinely nice to her, not realizing who she is. Um, but I think that that change, you know, is... It, it's a good point that you bring up. And it is something to, to know that maybe this is part of the reason why Dio's... Uh, enemy stand user army isn't as effective as it could be because Anyaba's the one who's really calling the shots, who's really gathering those stand users for him, and maybe she's not <laughs> as confident as we thought she was. She's just this senile old lady who doesn't have like a great track record of recruiting people. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and it's also interesting though because there are some really heavy themes here. And Yaba is saying like you murdered my son and Polnareff's talking about how great families are and, and I'll dive into this a little bit more as we go through the episode, but despite that, there is still a lot of, it, it's still pure humor. The way they approach all of that, even something as heavy as like you murdered my son versus versus you know Polnareff thinking like your son murdered my sister. There there's no heavy emotion behind that um but again i'm not complaining about it because it's still made for a really great episode well all right jojo fans make sure you're checked out before you're choked out because we are about to crusade into our synopsis and discussion for part three episode 15 justice part two with polnareff lurking right around the corner and yaba humbug shows off her haunted hospitality by chucking the half-dead hold horse under a bench and trying to entertain her son's flat-topped fucker-upper. Hold Horse manages to tell Polnareff that it's a trap, causing the ghastly grandma to use her stand, Justice, to sick some sickly sycophants on the Frenchman and wrangle him into his favorite room, the bathroom. Thanks to his reverse-peeping Tom move, Polnareff's tongue comes under Enyaba Humbug's control as he is forced to perform sanitary duties as a lavatory lickitung. The fecal festivities, however, are interrupted by none other than Jotaro the juvenile Jojo, who knew something was sus ever since this crockpot of a woman showed her face in the first place. He reveals how he smackledorfed her by putting his opposite day name in the hotel's death note, ensuing in a somewhat lopsided battle between Star Platinum and a bunch of fog sprayed with eau de justice. But no problem, because Star Platinum sucks, literally forcing Anyaba Humbug to close up the Grand Budapestilence Hotel for good. The Crusaders later discover that the ghost town was quite literally a ghost town manipulated to Anyaba's liking. And speaking of manipulated, Whole Horse GTA carjacks their ride to drive all the way back to Daddy Dio's side, warning them to get rid of their hogtied hag of a hostage before she can reach for her life alert device. And now on to our next segment of the show, Zeta Music and or Tarot Reference, where we document any and all nods, homages, and tributes that this extraordinary anime makes to the ordinary world of music and not-so-ordinary world of tarot cards. So now for this episode, I think we can finally address Anyaba's enemy stand, Justice, which is based on Justice, either the 8th or the 11th card of the tarot deck, depending on your deck type. Justice represents equity, rightness, probity, 
and executive triumph of the deserving side in law. What was that word? Probity. What is that? That's a good question. I didn't even look it up. Uh, the quality of having strong moral principles, honesty, and decency. Oh, which not are, like probing somebody? Yeah, I guess not. But that's the complete opposite, I think, of what we see in Anyaba. Uh, the reversed side of this card is law in all its departments, legal complications, bigotry, bias, and excessive severity. I would say that last part is more applicable to justice, especially with how... And Yaba is so hell-bent on getting revenge against her son's killers. Um, and I guess in a fuller sense, thinking of all of these traits, it kind of encompasses Anyaba's twisted sense of justice for her son, Jay Guile. And now it's time for the JoJo meme rundown, where we list each new JoJo meme that appeared in this episode. And we have two. The first one is an ongoing meme, but I have to acknowledge that each and every time it comes up, it's Paul Nareff and his bad luck in bathrooms. It's gotten to the point in part three where it's almost meta because even he acknowledges it in this episode where he right, takes yeah. refuge in the bathroom and says, why am I always getting ambushed in bathrooms? So that's got to be, a, you know, one of my uh, my favorite Paul Nareff memes from part three. The other meme is um, <laughs> his Kutaro Kujo, um, which is is interestingly coupled with the picture from is this from stone ocean yes like the fake jotaro or the the jotaro the that, walmart jotaro yeah discount <laughs> jotaro the one i think so there's, there's two of them in stone ocean right like the two fake uh jotaros but it's the first one mm -hmm. that's from when jolene has her flashback she's in jail or whatever she thinks her father's gonna come save her right or like rescue her yeah but it's some other dude who happens to be dressed very similar to jotaro um so that's kutaro kujo not to be confused with the other jotaro that shows up later in stone ocean after poochie's whole shit goes down mm -hmm. and you have like the weird looking jotaro and the weird looking jolene in the visitation room so the first one is Kutaro Kujo. And interestingly, Carl picked up something that I've never noticed for some reason watching this episode. And above Jotaro's name, where it says Kutaro Kujo in the guest book, it actually says Tenmei Kakyoin instead of Noriaki Kakyoin. So I guess yeah. they all agreed to write fake names. I think that's what Jotaro mentioned uh, when describing how he duped Enyaba is he told the other crusaders to write fake names on the registry. So I wanted to kind of catch if like Polnareff or Joseph also had a fake name written that we could see. But I think the most obvious one, besides Zotoros, of course, is Kakyoin, so... And I'll drop these memes in the Discord um, so you guys can see them. But if there's any others that we missed from this episode, please reach out and let us know. So first things first, in our quest to find out when they stop using Jojo as Jotaro's nickname or stop using Jojo in general as a nickname, they did not say Jojo in this episode. So that's that's interesting. Because the last couple, I think, the narrator kept saying Jojo. So we'll see if in the next few the, the nickname Jojo comes back up. But as the episode starts, um, it picks up right where, you know, part one leaves off. And you've got Paul Nareff checking on Anyaba when he heard a crash noise. And... As always, he's genuinely concerned for her when she fakes falling over because he sees her as like this, you know, very um, worn out old lady. And so you have more of that back and forth between Polnareff and Inyaba where he's super sweet to her and is like, you know, trying to cheer her up and make her feel good and just, you know, being nice to the old lady. And she pretends to be nice in return, but then it shows her inner thoughts and she's fucking pissed off because she's not wanting to act nice to the guy who killed her son, but she has to keep up the, keep up the facade. Otherwise, she risks getting her ass whooped by the Crusaders. Also worthy to note that she has her left hand covered up in bandages, of course, because she wants to disguise the fact that she has two right hands, just like Jay Guile. Uh, but yeah, this scene where she's just so infuriated, having to acquiesce to Polnareff, trying to cheer her up and I think like massage her, her back, uh, it, it plays off or plays out like a cruel sitcom as like he unintentionally rubs in the fact that uh, you know she has a family or like had a family <laughs> had, a, had a family 
but has no idea that he was part of the group that killed her son. But it's so ironic because Polnareff's family, or seemingly only family, was killed by by Jay Guile. Mm-hmm. So it's like I I get where Anyaba is coming from, but and of course she's never going to see it from the other side because one she's biased because it's her own son, right? Like a lot of parents are going to be biased towards their own children, but two she's evil and her whole goal is to get rid of Polnareff, so she's not going to see what Jay Guile did as you know a bad thing. But you have Polnareff asking as he's you know uh, buttering her up if she's running this hotel by herself or if she has a family like a son for example to help her run it and he's saying all these things about how great families are um and i i think it just it hurts in yaba but Polnareff I think is also in a very vulnerable place because he's saying, yeah, fam- families are great. I lost my mom when I was young. So, you know, mm-hmm. I, I haven't, you know, maybe I can remember if she says, he says like, you know, I don't have memories of her or um, whatever, but he says like, I'll be your son. I'll be your, your replacement son or I'll step in for your son in this case. And that's kind of when he like rubs her shoulders and takes care of her and stuff. So yeah, it's adding insult to injury for Anyava um, for her to, be told oh think of me as your son even though i'm the one that killed your son but again like for polnareff it's it's gotta hurt just as much he got his revenge but before that it had to have hurt just as much it's interesting that he didn't bring up his sister yeah that is interesting i wonder why iraqi chose not to have him say that because he talks about his mom but he doesn't talk about his sister maybe he's not ready yet to address that yeah or maybe it's too heavy of a topic to talk about in this like light light-hearted setting but it's just interesting to see Anyaba so enraged yet Polnareff was probably in the same like mental state not too long ago before he got his revenge well then whole horse comes out of nowhere um well I guess not uh, not out of nowhere but he comes out from underneath the couch to warn Polnareff that Anyaba is going to kill him or that Anyaba is going to be able to control him um, by putting a hole in him if he gets hurt. And so he comes out of the couch or from underneath the couch, um, proving that he didn't die because he got rid of his stand before the bullet hit him. Because if I remember from the last episode, like you hear the gunshot and then it seems like whole horse has died, but he just, I guess, pulled his stand back. I didn't think he could do that. Like, I thought, like, when the bullet is shot, like, the bullet's a separate thing. But the bullet must be part of the actual stand because he could make the bullet, you know, disappear whenever he needed to. Plus, would the stand try to kill its own user, right? Because it's kind of like when Jotaro tried to shoot himself and then Star Platinum had saved him. I guess it depends on the stand because you've got those other stands um, that do kill the user. So, like, what was that one stand that attacked the uh, the group in part five when they were on the airplane? Remember when they first get Trish and she's on the airplane? But there was, like, that stand of, like, a dead guy. Oh, wasn't that – was it Notorious B.I.G.? Yes. And there's also no. – I mean, I don't know if it's like someone else's stand, but there's also the one that clings on the Rohan's back. It kind of like kills the person it's clinging to, but I don't know if that means that it's it it's that person's stand. Probably not. That one's probably different. So I think there are some like some rare cases where a stand could kill its user. Um, but in this case, yeah, it's a good question. Like, could whole horse's bullet kill him? I'm guessing yes. If whole horse retracted his stand before he died from the gunshot my question is why would whole horse want to warn Polnareff about Anyaba if they're rivals that's my right? question too it's kind of interesting that whole horse like instead of just trying to get away quietly while Polnareff and Anyaba are you know duking it out that he he actually warns Polnareff and I think my guess is that whole horse, because he's kind of like a scummy dude, and he kind of uses other people. I'm guessing he's thinking if Polnareff can stop Anyaba, I'm saved. Because Polnareff's mm. like, no, you're on your own after what you did to Avdol. But I think Pol- uh, whole horse is hoping that because he's already pretty incapacitated and he's got a, a hole in his hand. Yeah, his hand um, from Anyaba. I'm, I'm guessing that he's thinking if Polnareff can stop her, then I can get away scotch-free. That makes sense, because then when it shifts to Jotaro having to save both of them later, I feel like he's trying to feed info to Jotaro 
to help him figure out a way to defeat Enyaba. Side note, I know that there's a spinoff manga for Whole Horse and Josuke, but can you imagine if there was a Whole Horse and Polnareff spinoff manga? I would love that because I love any interactions between Polnareff and Whole Horse because they're basically the same character. So even here, Whole Horse is like trying to warn Polnareff and he's like, fuck you, dude. You're on your own. I'm not helping you. Um, They end Mm -hmm. up kind of helping each other at some point. I think, you know, him, uh, Whole Horse, Polnareff, and Jotaro kind of all like team up very temporarily to stop Anyaba. Um, but yeah, I think that would be a great spinoff manga. That reminds me of, I've never watched any films in the Fast and the Furious franchise, but I think there was a spinoff called Hobbs and Shaw where I, I'm assuming those two characters were always at odds with each other, but they had to come together for an unlikely team up. I feel like that's the way that Whole Horse and Polnareff, should they have ever teamed up, how their dynamic would play out with them just kind of butting heads and and both being dumbasses. Yeah, I agree. I think it would be, I don't know, I think it would be the perfect recipe. I know Rocky said before that he thought about having Whole Horse join the Crusaders, but then decided against it because Whole Horse's personality was too close to Polnareff's. But yeah, the two of them butting heads would be the best thing. So then the fight ensues, um, and Yaba's talking about her stand, how it's, you know, fog and it's it's invincible, blah, blah, blah. She says something, though, that caught my, my attention, and I thought this was interesting because she says no one can have more than one stand. She's saying how, like, hers is, you know, a single stand, but it's so versatile, it's so indestructible, blah, blah, blah. So I'm thinking no one can have more than one stand. But then we have the situation of in part six, Stone Ocean, where Emporio inserts the disc into his head. And then you have um, him using Weather Report, despite him already having burning down the house. So I'm like, yes and no. So I think technically no one can have more than one stand, like naturally. But I think in Emporio's case, he was able to temporarily acquire a second stand through weather report or uh, through Pucci's disc um, to be able to use weather report in that moment because there's something else as sort of that catalyst and that catalyst is the disc. Yeah, Rocky just forgot. That's <laughs> what it's going to chalk up to. But yeah, I guess logically Emporio wasn't, u- well, no, he would have been using burning down the house because the room was manifested. Yeah. So then, hey, how would he have used the weather report in that same instance? I think it's just it's because the disc. The disc is kind of like an exception to the rule where mm. you're inserting another stand into your being. And the only way you can do that is through the disc. It's not like he can just have multiple stands. Um, you know, he needs the disc in order to make that happen. Yeah. Although you would think that the disc would pop out if it could recognize that this person already has a stand well it kind of it did when jolene tried to put star platinum in her head but i think that's because she's not strong enough to use star platinum and star platinum rejects everybody except for jotaro Mm. i think that was the explanation but either way again she said that no one can have more than one stand we see that technically as as truth except for this moment in part six with emporio um so that just kind of made me think of that now that we've already gone through part six you know i I can kind of reflect back on that and and compare how things have evolved from part three to part six also again kind of a side note i feel like a rocky has a thing for long wiggly tongues <laughs> oh because of the toilet scene yeah like the toilet scene and like all the zombies that she's controlling all have wiggly tongues she's got a wiggly tongue um, i wouldn't call polnareff's a wiggly tongue necessarily because he it's being forcibly like pulled out of his mouth but you think about all the wiggly tongues that we've gotten over the various parts especially part three and the reason this comes up is because one of our friends um one of our group chats we were talking about like some tongue conversation or whatever i remember i download i like grabbed all of those um jojo tongue images and i pasted them in the chat um i vaguely remember that chat goes by so quickly that i can't (laughs) catch every message it made me think because all i put in google was like jojo tongue or something like that and like all of these images came up from like parts one two three and then um 
I think maybe part five. So yeah, there's just like this obsession that Iraqi Iraqi has with like long wiggly tongues. And in this toilet scene, uh, you have Anyaba with her own tongue flailing scene that almost rivals Kakyoin's or I guess the fake Kakyoin. Yeah, <laughs> the, <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah I, I didn't even notice. Yeah, there's a lot of a lot of tongue <laughs> tongue things in JoJo, I guess. So Polnareff's running around. He um, hides in a back room and then hides in a bathroom. And there's this quick moment where Anyaba tells her like zombie, you know, army to break down the door. Um, but when she does it, she like flails her arms out with her cane in her hand and like kind of like subtly smacks whole horse in the face with her cane. Mm-hmm. It's one of those blink and you'll miss it moments. But again, it's just it's it's another stupid moment that just makes me love this episode so much because whole horse is already like down and out and then he gets hit in the face without even, you know, without Anyaba even realizing what's happening. He just, you know, keeps getting steamrolled. That's that's all it is. And she has mad adrenaline for someone who's like I don't know, hundreds of years old or whatever. Yeah, even Polnareff's like, how is this old lady so fucking fast when he's running away from her? So he's in the bathroom. Um, we talked a little bit about, you know, the the meme around Polnareff and toilets. He says, how come I'm always getting ambushed in bathrooms? Um, and we just know that, you know, he does not have any luck with toilets and bathrooms, despite him appreciating a really nice bathroom with clean toilets so he's looking through the keyhole he gets scratched by that zombie tongue again wiggly tongue um on his tongue and i just think how fucking nasty is that but do you think she could have anyaba could have attacked from under the door right because there was that gap where he could see the shadows oh 100 percent, and like like, scratched his foot or something yeah why bank it all on this keyhole i mean it's done for I guess comedic effect because it ends up piercing his tongue, but I mean, I, I, in this case, it's like go for the easier route. <laughs> no, I totally agree. I I'm guessing maybe she was. I mean, she was obviously holding out for when he looked to the keyhole, and I thought his eye was going to be stabbed the first time. Mm-hmm. I'm like, that's it. Polnareff's eye is gone. Now, granted, his eye is gone by part five, <laughs> but not in this moment. Um, but yeah, he gets scratching his tongue by a zombie tongue. That's gross. And then it gets even nastier when Anyaba makes him lick the toilet as part of her revenge against him for killing Jake Isle. And it's a whole 20 and or maybe 20 to 30 seconds where you see Polnareff's tongue slowly approaching the lid of the toilet. And that's an, another aspect of this episode where it, a serious moment but it ramps up the comedy um because we didn't need to they didn't need to dedicate that much time to what's a pretty insignificant scene i know but for polnareff it's like the worst thing ever it's just so funny the way it's done to your point because he she's saying like you know i want you to lick this toilet completely clean and he is fighting back with all of his might trying to pull his tongue away from this toilet almost in tears saying anything but that because in Polnareff's mind that really is one of the worst things like to him licking that toilet clean would be worse than death I'm sure he's just wishing that he would die (laughs) in that moment and then the the timing is just great because at like the climax of that when his eyes like the tears are starting to stream down his face and his tongue is like within millimeters of touching that toilet Jotaro busts in and knowing something is sus he just mm-hmm. knocks down the door and it's it's great you get that tone shift like all of a sudden it's it's like oh shit moment for Enyaba. she knows that he's suspicious of her um she's freaking out trying to think like okay i have to just play this off i have to say i know where polnareff is because jotaro's a smart guy unlike polnareff who's an idiot um i gotta make sure that i'm not trying to fudge things too much where he gets alerted essentially Although Polnareff, I know like his tongue is being controlled, and maybe this already answers my question, but like Polnareff could have just yelled through the bathroom door, right? And probably Jolter yeah. like, "Hey, she's a stand or enemy stand user. This is what she's doing to me." And then you wouldn't have had. I mean, yeah, you wouldn't have had Jotaro with his one-upsmanship moment uh, with Anyaba, but. Yeah, this is just me stating the obvious uh, with certain things in this episode. 
Yeah, it's a good point. Unless she's continuing to control his tongue. I don't know. But he does eventually make it to the doorway anyway with whole horse. So she must have stopped at some point. Mm-hmm. And that brings us to the eye catch for this episode. I guess the first eye catch for the episode, which shows the stand stats for justice. And so we have destructive power at D, speed at E, range at A, durability at A, precision and accuracy at E, and development potential at E. So I know Whole Horse says later in this episode that justice is the ultimate stand, but I guess according to these stats, it doesn't feel like it, probably because it's mostly fog-based. He probably thinks it's the ultimate stand in terms of invincibility because, yeah, like you, you can't, there's nothing physical manifesting that can be attacked. Yeah, and I think I mentioned this at the beginning of our discussion, but as much as Enyaba seeks vengeance against her son's killers, I feel like she doesn't really do anything grand with her stand justice besides attacking Polnareff and Jotaro instead of going for the group as a whole. And I feel like with justice being this fog-based or fog-based stand, she would be capable enough of doing that. Although I, I recall earlier in the episode, she wanted to take each of the Crusaders down one by one um, to kind of weaken their numbers. But yeah, it, with Whole Horse saying, oh, she has such a powerful stand, um, you would think she could do that. She could, yeah. I mean, it's not like she did nothing. She created an entire town yeah, out of nothing, <laughs> I guess, technically. But I do agree with her strategy to take them down one by one because she's she's an old lady maybe not a frail old lady but she's an old lady um with a stand that only activates when somebody gets injured so that's i think that's the caveat there is like yeah she could take them all on at once but how does she injure them in order to activate the stand yeah she's got her zombie army i guess but they seem kind of useless you're right uh last thing with the stand stats for justice uh fun fact and you can see this in the eye catch uh, in the anime portrayal justice's left hand is a right hand just like anyaba's Um, so yeah in this image which we'll share on the discord uh you see that justice has two right hands a true manifestation of its stand user so when it comes back from the eye catch, we um, return to the conversation between anyaba and jotaro and she slips up and Yava slips up by saying Jotaro when no one actually said his name and he didn't write it in the guest book. And lo and behold, we have Kyutaro Kujo. And then you get this really cool shot where um, at that moment that and Yava's like, fuck it, I'm just going to go for it because I've been I've been, you know, busted at this point. You get this cool shot where Jotaro is standing in front of that door to the back room and then uh, and Yava he says to Inyaba, what's wrong? Aren't you going to show me your stand and fight? And then the door busts open behind him. The colors change and the zombie starts spilling out in like slow motion. And it's just one of those moments that I just think is like really well done. It doesn't add much to the fight. It's just a really aesthetic moment that is a great start to the fight between Jotaro and Inyaba. Do you recall the moment that I'm talking about? Um, I do but it not like really clearly it's like yeah it's 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 like him i don't know he's like he's, he turned around and he's talking to her it's right bef- right after she like falls on the scissors but not actually falls on the scissors yeah. like about to fall on the scissors um and then yeah it just like all hell breaks loose because anyaba's like i'm gonna go for it and then you get that really aesthetic shot um so yeah it's one of those things like i've, I've picked them up on occasion throughout part three um they just happen randomly um but they look good they look cool and i just always want to call them out and give them give them some credit i guess within that same scene with you mentioning how Enyaba trips i, I think jotaro accidentally trips her yeah and causes her to almost get stabbed in the eye by her scissors um or was I, it an accident <laughs> yeah that's what it was it's almost like jotaro's five chess moves ahead of her this whole time because obviously i think from the first time she mentioned joestar san to the group like he immediately knew something was up um so it's just funny that he's he's playing all of this off 
but it, it's implied that he knows her every trick. So he's kind of just fucking around with her at this point. You're absolutely right. And that, that shows that he's super confident in this fight. And there's another shot that I want to talk about really quick. It's the shot of like just his finger. You get this moment like just his finger against a black screen. And then his face kind of fades in as he says like, I'll defeat her before she takes another breath. Because you have Whole Horse and Polnareff at this point freaking out, telling Jotaro like you can't fight her. Her stand is made of fog. She's too powerful. Blah, blah, blah. Don't get cut. Um, don't have that cut in your leg turn into a hole. And he's like, hang on. I'm going to defeat her before she takes another breath. And then fucking uses star platinum to suck in her whole stand in order to choke her out. I'm like, that is just such an OP move. It's so dumb, but so smart at the same time. Because it makes sense. It's fog. You can inhale it. And that is one way to kind of grab at it when you can't grab at it because it's not a physical manifestation but at the core of it all it's just so stupid (laughs) in a good way like it's just funny yeah i would say this was kind of a letdown because with with jojo and with these sort of stand of the week episodes i was always curious to figure out like the clever way that an enemy stand would be taken down uh, this kind of reminds me of what was the the episode um, with the Captain Crunch, uh, Dark Blue Moon, where Jotaro was just able to defeat him because Starfinger. Star yeah, Starfinger. Like it just introduced this Starfinger thing, and then here, what like Star Platinum has infinite lung capacity, so <laughs> that's how he's able to suck in all of this fog from Justice. Um, I mean, yeah, it's it's stupid. I, I get it. It's just part of, like, JoJo being just a, a bizarre and dumb adventure. But I was just expecting something a little more epic rather than sucking air into his lungs. I agree it's not epic, but I do find it to be clever. Because I was kind of sitting there thinking, okay, how do you defeat a stand that can't be touched and... You know, it's just basically air. <laughs> mm-hmm. you, you breathe it in. So I, I, as much as I call it stupid, I still do enjoy it. And I think it's funny how just like s- how simplistic it is that he just defeats her in that way when Polnareff and Whole Horse are trying everything that they can think of True. and can't think of anything that works. Prior to this moment, uh, I know Jotaro was talking to Enyaba about how it's probably because he was he grew up watching Columbo as a kid that he can't sleep at night like knowing things are suspicious yeah like something's out of place or something yeah so I just to give some context to that line I did a little bit of research to discover that Columbo is a crime drama tv series that aired in the 80s about a homicide detective in the Los Angeles police department and according to the website TV Tropes, Jotaro watching Columbo as a kid was what contributed to his extraordinary deductive reasoning capabilities. So him watching this TV show helped him get the skills and the knowledge necessary for him to realize something was not right with Enyaba. I like that little moment. We don't know a lot about Jotaro as like a kid and his backstory and stuff. Um, so him sharing that fun fact about himself was kind of cool. Once Enyaba is defeated, we have uh, the next scene where the Crusaders are downstairs. And of course, Joseph would never miss an opportunity to make fun of Polnareff and this time for licking a toilet because apparently Jotaro already told Joseph about it. What so were they doing this whole time? Probably sleeping. Joseph, I don't yeah. know. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Well, they were all together in Joseph's room when Polnareff came in because weren't they mm-hmm. trying to work with the, work on the TV or something? I think They were doing so. something. <laughs> it was like, a very brief moment, but I know Polnareff came in, was asking, like, where the fuck's the toilet? I don't have a toilet in my room. Mm-hmm. This is in the last episode, and then they tell him it's probably communal, and when he leaves, Joseph's like, he's such an airhead. He's, you know, he's going to get, like, himself in trouble at some point, which it ended up happening, 
and he licked a toilet and Joseph <laughs> Joseph just rips into him, <laughs> makes fun of him, and like even gets Polnareff to pout about it. It's just so funny. Because <laughs> you think Polnareff is one of the older people in the group, but he's, I think, younger than Avdol and Joseph. So Polnareff sometimes feels like the one of the adults of the group, but here he definitely feels like one of the kids of the group because of the way Joseph is treating him. I mean, he he kind of deserved his... <laughs> he kind of deserved what happens to him in this episode because... They said before, uh, he's been too much of a goofball and just needed something to kick him right in the ass. So then we have another eye catch. I think this one's for Star Platinum. And then when we return back to the episode, we see um, the group outside of the hotel realizing that the town was actually a cemetery that Inyaba had controlled and, and basically created this like fake town of sorts and uh they have whole horse telling them that they need to take Inyaba with them or no they're talking about taking Inyaba with them because she's got valuable information about Dio and they mm-hmm. want to try to extract that from her and Joseph says that he can project what she's thinking onto a tv with hermit purple so even if she doesn't talk they have that that other alternative but then whole horse steals their car and warns them to kill Anyaba before they get killed without giving them any real context around that. And that's what will lead us into the next episode um, where I think in the beginning of it, Anyaba gets offed pretty quickly. Yeah, and I believe that's with Steely Dan. Yeah, the lovers. And I forgot <laughs> his, his localized name. is a pretty, pretty clever pun, but I think we'll get to that in the next episode. And I know in the beginning of this episode, I talked a little bit about how Polnareff is one of the most tragic characters in JoJo. Um, I think that's that's remains true. Like despite all the silliness surrounding him in in part three and his goofy, goofy personality, he does end up being really tragic. Like at the beginning of his story, it's tragic because his sister was murdered, um, and then at the end of his story, well, we all know what happens to him in part five. But despite all of that, I think his personality remains a positive one throughout part three. Cause I think about the scene with like Inyaba, right? Like we we're talking earlier that he is talking about how great families are and that he lost his mother and he, you know, he killed Jay Guile because Jay Guile murdered his sister, but he's so positive despite that. Um, even with Avdol, uh, whole horse having killed Avdol and, and him saying that to, to whole horse, like I'm not going to help you because of what you did to Avdol. Despite all of that, he's like such a funny character. But then when he gets to part five, he's just been like steamrolled and gone through so much <laughs> shit that he is like not himself at all. He's such a serious character. So when and I was he watching ends up this, a fucking turtle. Yeah, I mean, of all things, <laughs> at least he's not dead. But I, I watched this episode and I think, like, damn, this guy has gone through a lot, but he's still so funny. And then I think about part five. I'm like, he's gone through even more, and now his personality is just like ruined or maybe not ruined but completely different than it was before so i i kind of wish that part of polnareff in part five was still this goofy silly person but then i i don't know if it would fit the timing of when his character gets introduced or reintroduced yeah especially because part five is i consider it like a darker part of jojo um so i think personality wise it would kind of clash with everything going on in that part um, but yeah, for part three purposes, it is great to see that even though Polnareff has all this shit thrown at him, he always happens to look on the brighter side of life, leading to uh, these really humorous and comedic moments. Uh, but I suppose that's kind of like in, in real life where there are certain people who you learn have really dark pasts, but they end up being some of the kindest and funniest people that you've ever met. So I guess that's a, it's a great quality about Polnareff. And that brings us to our final thoughts for part three, episode 15 justice part two. So do you think that justice was served in this episode? Uh, yeah, I mean... Yeah, literally <laughs> the stand justice. Yeah, <laughs> I think it's a, a great episode. I, I think it's so much fun to watch. It's just goofy, silly, dumb fun. And while most episodes of Stardust Crusaders have a comedic element to them, there's always some funny thing going on, even if it's a more serious episode. 
this one is a nice break because there's no real heavy emotion to it. Because most of the episodes have a combination of like serious, intense moments and then, it, you know, the funny elements to it. But this is just funny throughout. Even when it does seem like it's taking a more serious turn, it stays funny the whole time. And I just enjoy that. It's it's just a nice one to watch. It's easy to watch. And I think it gives us some really good memes as well. So, yeah, I, I forgot how much I enjoy this episode. And I'm glad that we're finally able to talk about it. What about you? I thought it was a decent finale to Enyaba's two-part arc. I did enjoy the sort of sitcom-y interaction between Polnareff and Inyaba in the first half. Then you have Jotaro stepping in in the second half and sort of taking credit in finishing someone else's battle, which that sounds like something else that happens in a future part, doesn't it? Aww. <laughs> um, also with Star Platinum, being able to defeat Justice through Hamon Breathing as I mentioned before, it felt a little bit like a fluke instead of a clever takedown, like when he defeated Dark Blue Moon using Starfinger, but a win is a win, I guess. And I think we should also consider that this is the removal of a major player in Dio's scheme, which deals a small but significant blow to the villain. Um, I did enjoy that eye-opening revelation of this locale being a hospital bull haven, not for the living, but for the dead, which kind of further contributes to this tinge of horror vibes that we get in these early part three episodes. And then, of course, you have those light touches of comedy, which are prevalent in this episode. Um, so I think overall, it just made it a really fun watch, despite it being centered around uh, a vendetta scheme. And it leads us into the next tier of enemy stand users that we talked about before. The first group of stand users feels kind of like that that first tier, that bottom tier. And Yaba's introduction as an enemy stand user kind of gives us like that next tier of enemy stand users in Dio's army. And then, you know, we'll get the, the big baddies towards the end of part three. So, yeah, we'll look forward to talking all about the lovers next. Oh, and this is uh, where we get the Jotaro Bridge. That <laughs> is that is it. I can't wait to talk about that and all the, uh -huh. the craziness behind that. <laughs> but thank you guys, as always, for tuning in. We appreciate you guys and hope you enjoyed this episode. Subscribe to Strictly Jojo on our favorite podcast service. Join our Discord to chat with us. Follow us on Instagram at the Strictly Series, on Twitter at Strictly Series, and check out our website, thestrictlyseries.com. If you'd like to support the show, then head over to patreon.com slash thestrictlyseries. And tune into Strictly Anime, our other podcast for anime reviews and discussions. All links are in the description. Thank you so much for listening. And as always, stay safe, stay healthy, stay weeb. To be continued. Mm -hmm.